All right, here we go. Let's jump into it. When you read the Bible and you read all the different stories and the instructions of Jesus, you get this really interesting balance of Jesus having public ministry, but also having a really awesome private life. See, so much of what Jesus did was public. He would turn up to the synagogues and the temples and he would preach. He would gather on street corners and he would preach to people. He was very public. He challenged religious leaders in the temple. That's a pretty public act to do. He had crowds gather around him, sometimes with good intention to hear his teaching, and other times they really just wanted to ridicule and challenge him. Jesus was a very public person, and yet quite crucially, he was also very private. So then it's no surprise when he comes to instructing believers as to how we are to go about our faith journey, it includes instruction not only on being private, but also being public. It includes both of those. In Matthew chapter 6, we read, a big passage of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it covers all sorts of different topics, but in chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, he hones in on three really foundational core principles of the Christian life, prayer, fasting, and giving. And each one of these practices get its own little segment where he teaches this invaluable instruction as to how we are to approach them and the heart posture we are to have towards them. So with prayer, he says this, he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. With fasting, he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. I love that. They're like, it's so hard. <laughs> they're like, I want you to know I'm fasting. It's so difficult. Woe unto me. With giving, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. It's not that doing it in front of others is an issue, but if it's to be seen by them, that's where the issue lies. Jesus is trying to highlight essentially that these things are between you and God. It's like inviting a friend out to dinner while you're on a date with your spouse. It kills the intimacy, and it kind of defeats the whole purpose of the activity. If you're going to do it, Jesus says, do it in secret, because it's the private life of a Christian that builds intimacy with God. It's the private life of a Christian that builds a humble heart within us, it's a private life of a Christian that should, be, that should always come before any form of public breakthrough. You might have heard this saying, if it's not on Facebook, did it really happen? I don't know if you've heard that before. Essentially, like, if it really happened, it would have made its way to social media. That's how you know that it's real. When someone's dating, now that it's on Facebook, now it's official. You've told the world. If it really happened, it would be on Facebook. I think the opposite could be said about these three practices. If it is on Facebook, did it really happen? Perhaps. If, if our first response was, let me show the world that I did it. Look, I'm reading my Bible. Like, and I'm, like, I'm not throwing shade on people that post about their Bible reading time. All I'm saying is, if it's on Facebook, did it really happen? Is what was meant to happen really happen? Did breakthrough in a private moment with God in secret really happen? Again, I'm not throwing shade on people that post it, but that's not our priority. That's not the goal. See, with all three of these practices, Jesus highlights that if you do them publicly, which is okay, but if you do it, any form of public recognition, accolades, or appreciation will be all the reward that you get. And you might say that's fine, but if you want recognition and reward from God himself, then stop inviting people onto the date with you. Jesus didn't say, if you pray, if you fast, if you give, he says, when you do. It's expected of us. It's actually not a negotiable thing. When we say yes and we give our lives to Jesus, we are saying yes to taking these practices seriously. Let's be really real and honest this morning, right? And I'll even, like, it is so easy to fake your Christian walk. And this is not an accusation at any particular person. It's really easy to fake your Christian journey. Rattle off a few scriptures, serve in the team, turn up to church regularly. You might even tithe. You might even give in the offering. You Maybe you turn up to a small group. Heck, you might even verbally amen in the sermon. 
right? And for everyone else, you'd be like, man of God, woman of God. That's someone that is dedicated to the Lord and that, that is intimate with Him. But for some people here in the room, you know as much as I do that for some, it's just a front. And it can feel like success because what other people see looks good. But First Samuel tells us it's man, it's woman, it's people that observe and judge the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. And I just want us to be a church where our public ministry is an overflow of our private intimacy where we would grow in closeness and faith with God in order to know Him and that we would live lives under the shadow of His wings, where we would be a people that know God before we look to show God. And so today we start a new series called In Secret. And today we focus in on what Jesus said about prayer. And with that, let's pray. Seems fitting. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's true. I thank You that it brings hope. It brings alignment. It instructs us. It is good to teach us how to live our lives and to find fulfillment in it. And today, God, we submit to the truth of your word. And I thank you for this powerful thing called prayer. God, we don't want to fabricate our own ideas on what it should be, what it's meant to be, making it all about us. But Lord, we pray that today, each of us, every person in this room would leave with a greater desire to pray, a greater burning to pray, and a better understanding of truly what your heart is behind prayer. So we submit ourselves to you, praying that your word would uh, take root in the soil of our heart, that it would grow fruit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a tale is told of a a small town uh, in a village area that was known as a dry town. In other words, it had no alcohol at all, considered dry. And one day, this business wanted to build a tavern in the town, first introducing alcohol to the town. Well, the local Christians from the local church had other ideas, and they decided they're going to gather together and have an all-night prayer meeting and ask God to intervene. Well, coincidentally, shortly after the prayer meeting, lightning struck the bar and burnt it to the ground. Well, the tavern owners sued the church. They said it's the responsibility of those that prayed those prayers. They're the ones that brought our tavern down. And well, the church, they hired their own lawyer to argue that it was not their fault. Well, the presiding judge, after reviewing the case, stated that no matter how the case turns out, one thing is for sure, the tavern owners believe in prayer and the Christians do not. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 13. This is our key passage for today. And when you pray, not if, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, a lot of sermons on prayer like to focus in on the Lord's Prayer. That's the prayer I just read out to you, but I'm not going to do that today. Rather, I'm going to pick a few other parts from this wider passage of Scripture and also give a little bit of other teaching that I hope will help you today. See, prayer is one of the most powerful tools that has been placed in our hands. James 5.16 says, The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And before you rule yourself out, you count as a righteous person if you are one with Christ. It's not a funny way to say the pastor's. 
or the extra holy seeming people in the room, you're righteous by the blood of Christ. And so that counts as you. Your prayers are powerful and effective. So let's start by talking about what prayer is and why we do it. In its simplest form, prayer is a conversation between us and God. But we know that can take many different forms. First Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God because He cares about you. So prayer is confiding in God. Colossians 4, 2 says, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Prayer is a moment of thanksgiving. Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever you ask for in prayer will be given to you. So prayer is making requests of God. James five sixteen. Confess your sins to one another and pray so that you may be healed. Prayer can be the activation of healing. Prayer is also many other things, but the key is this: prayer is relational, not transactional. That's key. Prayer is relational, not transactional. And as long as we consider prayer transactional, we're going to be missing the core point of it. See, the core point is not that you get your way or you get the things that you want. The core point is that you would draw nearer to God. And so that's why it's important that we seek God in prayer, whether we get the answers we were hoping for or not. Now, in the Bible, there's about 650 different prayers listed. And interestingly, there's about 450 uh, recorded answers to prayer. That doesn't mean the others weren't answered, but simply that they weren't recorded. But I honestly think the Bible's like this on purpose. I think God wants us to know that prayer, that, sorry, that answering our prayers is not always God's top priority. See, our boy Boston, he's two and a half, and he's filled with all sorts of different requests. And while sometimes I've got no idea what he's on about, he's babbling on like the pagans do, um, <laughs> usually I can figure out what he's trying to say before he pieces his sentence together. He'll be like, I want, I want to have, have dino, dino poster, my dino poster on the wall for my dinos, T-Rex, rah. I'm like, I don't cut him off. I'm like, yeah, I get it, dino poster on the wall, let's go. I love the fact that he's putting words to the desires of his heart. And whether he gets the dino poster on the wall or not is actually not my main priority. I want him to know he can ask his dad for things. He can make his request known to me. And I'm going to hear him out. And yet in this example, sure, he can get the dino poster on the wall. But as his dad, my goal is to build relationship with him. My goal is to build trust with him, not to give him all of the things that he wants. Now, if I can do both, cool. But giving him things is not my priority. And sometimes it can seem like our prayers don't get answered. I say thank God for that. Thank God that He doesn't give us everything we want when we ask for it based on our own limited understanding of our lives and the world that we live in. Because again, just this week, Boston, he's out on our second story balcony, which overhangs concrete. And he's standing there with his red uh, tractor toy. And he puts it out through the barrier and he holds it. And I'm sitting right there and I say, Boston, do not throw your toy. If you throw that toy, if you drop it down, it's going to break and we can't play with it anymore. He waits. He's not making eye contact. And then he drops it down to its doom on the concrete. And I'm like, oh, my life. Okay, so I, I bring him in closely and say, buddy, you need to listen to daddy. If you drop your toys, they might break, and we can't play with them anymore. We don't throw our toys off the deck. The very next words out of his mouth, I kid you not, I want a chocolate. <laughs> I'm like, firstly, you're dreaming, brother. We hardly ever give him chocolate anyway. I'm like, okay, as your dad, I know you want it, but I would rather you learn the lesson of what just happened than just give you what you want. All of that to say this, prayer's primary purpose is not provision. Prayer's primary purpose is intimacy. 
Well, it's no surprise then that Jesus instructs us to go to a private place to pray, to shut the door, where we can carve out some time to share our heart with Him, but also to listen. Prayer having a primary purpose, though, doesn't mean it doesn't have a powerful and important secondary purpose. Things can have more than one purpose. Because the good news is, He is a God that wants to provide for His children. One of His very names is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And so we are invited to make our request known to God. Mark 11, verse 23 to 25 says, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt it in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. We can pray and ask for things. But I've come to learn that God will grant us those things as long as the primary purpose of relationship isn't tarnished. Because sometimes our prayer for financial breakthrough is actually just so that we don't have to rely on God to provide anymore. Sometimes we pray, pray, God, get me into a different job so that we can just run away from the challenges rather than face them and grow in the process. Sometimes we try to pray God out of a job, and I'm pretty sure He won't give you that. See, if your answer to prayer results in you moving away from God or trusting in Him, I suspect He might be reluctant to give you what you want. That's why most of us who have prayed for a Ferrari haven't got one, right? (laughs) Hands up if you, I have. Just, I didn't think it would work, but I thought I'd just shoot it up just in case he's in a good mood. That's why most of us who have prayed for a Ferrari haven't got one. Why? Because it would get to our heads. It would build pride in our hearts. We would come to this place, be like, oh, aren't I awesome? Brilliant in my Ferrari. And we would think we're amazing and didn't need God. Now, I'm not saying that's the case for everyone who owns a Ferrari. Anyone here who actually happens to have a Ferrari, I would like to meet with you. (laughs) They probably worked very hard and absolutely deserve it. But if you chuck one of those things at some of us, it's going to get to us. So while we want it and we've made our request known to God, relationally, He's not going to give it to us. Sometimes God says no to our request because it would be more relationally beneficial. Sometimes He answers in ways we weren't looking for. So we can be unaware that He's actually answered our prayer while we sit waiting for something in a different way, and He's actually answered it better than we could have hoped for. Prayer's primary purpose is relationship. But He also wants to provide for His children, and He asks us and invites us to make our request known to Him. Okay. How do you pray? Now, if I was to say right now, let's pray, I could almost guarantee that the majority of people in this room would close your eyes and bow your heads, right? It's like, yes, sir. But is that biblical? Is that what we're meant to do? Well, the Bible has five specific bodily postures for prayer, and I'm going to let you know about them. The first one is this face to the ground. We read this in the book of Matthew. In fact, this was Jesus. He put his face to the ground as if to imply to God, I can't be down anymore. I can't be more humble than I am. I am fully in surrender. And then he prayed that famous prayer where he said, Lord, take this cup of suffering from me. He was in a place of suffering, but your will be done, not mine. Then there was kneeling in Second Chronicles. Solomon knelt down and lifted his hands to pray and thank God. And so he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for God, keeping his promises. Then there was sitting in 2 Samuel. King David sat before the Lord and prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. Then there's standing in the book of Mark. Jesus said, and when you stand praying, we actually just read that one. And then finally, hands lifted high in 1 Timothy. Paul tells Timothy that he wants people everywhere to pray by lifting up holy hands without anger and dispute. In other words, if you're going to honor and praise God, do so with a pure heart and right standing with people. Pray when your face is on the ground. Pray when you're kneeling, pray when you're sitting, pray when you're standing, and pray with your hands are in the air. In other words, pray when you can't go any lower. 
when you're literally looking at the ground and you don't know how to get up anymore, pray that God will lift you up out of the miry clay and see your feet on solid ground. Pray when you feel cut down, like you're on your knees and you don't know where to go and you can't stand on your own. Pray when you're tired, like Steve shared last week. Pray when you're tired and you just feel like you need to have a sit down and things are a bit exhausting. Maybe the sit down for you represents just being really comfortable. Pray in those moments. Pray when you're on your feet. When you're active, you're productive, you're, you're doing the things you love, pray a prayer of thanksgiving for your health and your ability to do those things. And pray when it's easy to lift your hands, when there's easily reasons to celebrate, when, when life feels good, when you're in a mountaintop moment, if you can pray in those moments, make sure you're praying in those as well. The point is this, it does not matter what body position you're in, what matters is that you're willing to seek Him in every season with an open heart. But there's a reason people kneel. And there's a reason people lift their hands. And there's a reason people lie face down on the ground. It's not because it's a more acceptable body position, but it's because physically moving can remind us of the holy privilege that it is to approach our God. See, we've already established that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. But shifting our body can often alter the condition of our heart. I love lifting my hands to say, God, here I am. I've got nothing to hide. As if someone being held up at gunpoint. I've got nothing to hide. Search me. Search my whole heart, Lord. I love standing with my arms out like this, as if to say, God, I'm ready to receive all that you have for me, both the good and the challenges. I love to pray sometimes with my eyes open. Some people might say, that's psycho, but I love it. I love praying when I'm in nature and just looking at the splendor of God while I thank Him for His power and His goodness. Use your body position to activate surrender and to humble your heart. Because the position of your heart is often far more important than the actual words you manage to find coming out of your mouth. Story goes that a dad was taking his son on a trip to do some errands. When lunchtime arrived, they went to a familiar cafe to grab a sandwich. They entered in and the dad hopped up onto a stool at the bar. He helped his little boy up onto the bar next to him and they ordered some lunch. Well, eventually uh, the, the worker brought the lunch out and as they placed it in front of these two, the dad looked to his son and said, son, we'll just have a silent prayer. Well, the dad got through his prayer first and looked up and noticed his son had his head bowed for an unusually long amount of time. When he eventually opened his eyes and lifted his head, the dad said, what were you praying about for so long? And with the innocence and honesty of a child, he says, well, how do I know? It was a, it was a silent prayer. <laughs> I love the thought of this. I love the picture because you've got this little boy going, we're praying. And I don't have words, and I don't even think I'm meant to be saying words right now, but his heart posture was one of prayer. Sometimes you don't have the words. This is where the, the gift of speaking in tongues can be really helpful. It edifies our spirit. We can pray. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't need to. It makes sense to God. But I'm not just talking about that today. Sometimes just being in a prayerful position of our heart, not knowing the words, is a beautiful place to be. Here's a few quick tips on prayer for the time that we've got left. Number one, here it is. It's in your notes. Pray in Jesus' name. John 14, verse 13 to 14. It says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Everyone say, in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is really important because you and I, we don't produce the answer. God does. Jesus is the authority on which we ask. We aren't manifesting anything from the universe. That's not real. We aren't willing something into existence. We aren't unlocking anything by saying the right words in the right order. We are relationally asking the God of heaven, who is not only willing but able, to orchestrate something as an answer to our request. If he doesn't do it, it doesn't happen. The universe doesn't answer for us. It must go to God. There is healing in the name of Jesus. 
There is breakthrough in the name of Jesus. There, there are chains of oppression and demonic forces that are broken only in the name of Jesus. In fact, Hannah, Anna, not Hannah, I will rename you, no, Anna, <laughs> earlier she had an amazing verse from Philippians, and it, it ties right in with what I'm about to tell you. In Acts chapter 4, it says, There is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. You can't be saved under any other name but the name that is Jesus. So don't pray in your own name. Definitely don't pray in my name. Pray in the authority that God has given you, and that is the name of Jesus. When I pray, I like to add the phrase in Jesus' name along the way and not just at the end, which can confuse people because often we're so programmed to think that's the end of the prayer and we go to amen, but they're not finished. I love injecting it because it's an ongoing reminder that he gets the final say and ultimately the call is his. It grounds my prayer in faith and helps me to believe what I'm asking for. Saying in Jesus' name is not the off-ramp to the highway of prayer. It's not like the pre-chorus before the amen at the end. It's not just something you have to say at the end. It's an injection of faith and grounding. So you can add in Jesus' name as a moment of faith and grounding in the one who gives you authority to go after things with the backing of heaven. Interestingly as well, saying amen has its first introduction in Matthew 5, verse 22, and it essentially means, uh, let it be so or so be it. It's, it's It's a statement of agreement. And while you don't have to say amen, all I'm saying is my soul is uneasy when someone prays and they don't say it. Someone prays, blah, 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 in Jesus' name, I'm like, It's like the send to the email. How's God going to get it if you don't amen it? That's not true, but it, he will get it. But, you know, there's other verses that talk about the power of agreement in prayer. You can agree with your own prayer. You can ask God for things and then declare in the name of Jesus, let it be so or so be it. It's an amazing addition to our prayer. Second thing is this, don't ramble on. Matthew 6 verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, you remember being at school, and you had to write an essay, and there was a word count. So you changed the word weren't to were not. You elaborated every sentence to add more words so you could finally, like the content of your writing was trash, but you met the word count, and you were pumped. God doesn't have a word count. And he's not more likely to hear you or more likely to answer if you pray longer prayers or add more words in. God invites us to keep asking, but you don't have to ask for the same thing seven times in the same prayer. You can say it. You can be specific. You can get to the point and he hears you. He says, keep knocking. Come back the next day. God, reminding you of your promises. Let's go again. I'm going to believe for it again. I'm going to keep asking until the door is opened. But you don't have to ask many, 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 many times in the same prayer. You might pray like this. God. I'm not sure why my coworker seems to have an attitude towards me, but I pray that you help us reconcile. God, would you soften their heart and help bring unity between the two of us? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Great prayer. To the point, filled with faith, telling God what you're believing for. Martin Luther said this, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. To have prayed well is to have studied well. What he's getting at is if you actually know the word of God, which is really important for us as Christians to, word, to, to, to read it, not just hear it in sermons or podcasts, to read the word of God. You know the word, you know his heart, you know his will, you can just get straight to asking for it. You don't need to stumble your way around finding your way there. And if you're in a position of like, I don't really know it, absolutely pray, for, of course. But as we grow and mature in our faith, we know God's will, we can get straight to asking for it. It's good to develop your ability to pray longer because it allows you to be specific to cover more ground and spend more time in that holy moment. But don't pray longer just for the sake of adding more words. 
I remember when I first became a Christian, um, I felt like I could pray for one sentence and I was, I was done. And so I would practice in my room. I'd like pick a topic and I'd be like, timer, pray for one minute in a row, nonstop on this topic. And, and I would practice doing that. Now, look, my heart and intention was good. It wasn't so I could babble on like pagans do. It wasn't like, I didn't want to be impressive to pray longer prayers, but I wanted to be able to stay in that moment longer. I wanted to be more specific. I wanted to be able to remind God of his promises and, and draw on the truth of his word. And so I would actually practice doing that. And my encouragement to you is maybe practice. If your heart and intention is right along that, I want to pray. I want to spend more time in that moment, but don't just do it to add more words. Don't do it so that others would hear you. God already knows what you need. You don't need to tiptoe around your request, but you can be straight with him. Be like Boston who said, I want a chocolate. You won't get it, but be like Boston and be direct with God. Third one is this, remind God of his promises. Isaiah 62 verse 67, this is the amplified version. It says, I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem, who will never hold their peace day or night. You who are his servants and by your prayers put the Lord in remembrance of his promises, keep not silent. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her a praise in the earth. Now, without those bracketed parts, because that's the amplified part, how it just reads at first reading is, you who put the Lord in remembrance, keep not silent. It's like, you who, <laughs> you who, <laughs> by your prayers, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. That's why the Amplified Version helps us understand. Not you who puts the Lord in remembrance of what and how, but your prayers of His promises. Max Licato said, find a promise that fits your problem and build your prayer around it. These prayers of faith touch the heart of God and miracles are set in motion. Two weeks ago, we had Shane from our city campus come and share an amazing sermon on Jacob and Esau. And he read this verse to you, Genesis 32, 11 to 12. O Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children, but you promised me. He said, God, this was your idea. You promised me I will surely treat you kindly and will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. You can remind God of his promise to provide, his promise to heal, his promise to protect, his promise to establish, his promise to guide, his promise to save, his promise to deliver, his promise to draw near. He is not offended or annoyed. See, when you remind God of his promises, you are exposing your dedication to his word, and you're reminding God that you have faith to believe that he will come through on his promises. You can remind God of your promises. Great thing to do when you pray. Not a, I'm telling you off, Lord, but you said this, and you're faithful, and I'm believing for it, and I want to bring it back to your attention. Fourth and final thing is this, make God the focus. I want to start this by saying, I want to be really clear, it's totally fine to have a good old-fashioned whinge with God. Like, you're allowed to go, this sucks. I hate this. I'm, I'm upset. I don't understand. I'm confused. We can be raw and real before God. We don't need to come with our holy language and our Sunday best. God's not looking for that. He's looking for realness and authenticity. You can have a good old-fashioned whinge before God. In fact, that's a good thing to do. It's better to do that than to have that same style of whinge to other people that can't help you. I'm not saying no people can help you, but usually it goes further than the ones that can help us, and it goes way too far, and those people can't help us. Take it to God. You're allowed to be you and raw and real in a person. But there's something faith-building about what happens when you are praying that prayer and you change gears. And I want to speak just for a little moment on what it means to change gears. Listen, lay out your concern, but a time comes when you declare that despite what you're going through, you serve a God who is bigger. 
You may have heard the quote, don't tell God how big your problems are, tell your problems how big your God is. Your declaration of what God can do not only reminds Him of His promises, but it elevates your faith. You might say, God, I'm struggling with this diagnosis, but gear change, I believe you can heal me. I believe in your promises. You might say, God, my friendship situation is the worst. God, I feel disconnected and I'm unmotivated by all of it. Change gears. But if there's anything I know about you, God, you are a God of unity. And your desire is I have great community around me. God, would you open up new opportunities for me? You might say, God, I'm facing this. Change gears. But I believe you can do that. This is a powerful moment in our prayers. Not just to wallow in our challenge, but understand there's a God that can do something about it. There's a God that can maybe shift the circumstance or maybe just shift your heart within the circumstance. He can open your eyes to growth opportunities. He can give you a clear path ahead. So absolutely be real in war with God. But at some point, you've got to change gears. And the sooner, the better. Whatever you're facing, God is bigger. Whatever you can't do, God can do it. Keep God the focus of your prayers and see what he'll do. Uh, Keys, you can join me. I think that's LJ. Awesome. Thank you. Number one, pray in Jesus' name. Don't ramble on. Remind God of his promises and make God the focus. Jesus says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, to do so in secret. He didn't say, when you're serving on the door or in the kids' team, when you're preaching. No, no, he was adding weight to the value and the potency of your private life. He's like, doing the public stuff is good, but you've got to get the private devotion right first. Jesus was deliberate when he said, when you pray and not just if you pray. A Christian without a strong prayer life is like a car without fuel. You're technically still a car, but you won't be very effective in doing what you've been called to do, and there won't be much of a shared journey between you and the one who owns you. Your public Christian life should be an overflow of your private devotion. I was reading earlier in the week about these early African converts who were apparently really earnest and regular in their private devotion. Each one reportedly had a different spot in the thickets where they would make their way out to pour out their heart to God. So they would go out to their spot, the little spot that they would go to every day, and they would just be by themselves, private devotion, they would pour out their heart to God, they would pray, they would praise. And so these paths over time became well-worn. Well, then it became really apparent when someone was neglecting their prayer. And so the others in the village would remind the negligent one, brother, the grass grows on your path. And I might put out the same challenge if it were, brother, sister, does the grass grow on your path? Is the path traveled to the secret place now an unfamiliar one? You haven't traveled it regularly like you once used to. Is the route once traveled now not one you are familiar with? I wanna say it's time to return to the secret place. It's time to seek God again, first to know Him, and then to receive all that He has for you in that order. Prayer is like the many things that God has gifted us with. It's a weapon in our hands and hearts, but don't get distracted away from the primary purpose. Look, you're called to make a difference, to be effective, to share Jesus to the world. Yes, all of that. But what a shame it would be if you did all of that at the expense of truly knowing God. In fact, Jesus spoke directly about that very thing in Matthew chapter 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Like we've done lots of stuff for you, God. And he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
away from me, evildoers. If you feel distant from relationship with God, perhaps it's because there is grass growing on your path and it's time to return back to the secret place.